The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Some of the greatest legends in history are stories that take place at sea. And at the end of the 19th century, this is the 1890s, a group of sailors came in to the port in New York City and started sharing this story that gripped people around the world. It was an incredible story that these sailors apparently had witnessed. It was the story of a guy named James Bartley. James Bartley was on a whaling ship in the Atlantic and they were looking for, obviously they're hunting down these whales. They had one that they're kind of, they're fighting with in the water. And, and there's these turbulent seas knocking the boat back and forth. And during this process, during this fight, a couple of the crewmen had gotten washed over into the, into the ocean. And they hadn't found them and they feared the worst. And one of those people was this guy named James Bartley. And they continued fighting with this whale. Finally, they harpooned it. They got a hold of it. They killed it, pulled it on board their ship, and they start cleaning this whale. They're cutting it open. And they get to the, the stomach of the whale, and they see something moving. Now, this was a sperm whale, and sperm whale are notorious for swallowing large sea creatures. They can swallow huge squid whole. And they found inside something moving, so they're wondering what this is. They cut it open, and out flops James Bartley. He had fallen into the water and in the process apparently got swallowed by this whale. Now, there's a lot of debate. I mean, this really captured people all over the world. This is written about in multiple newspapers. You can go back to the archives of the New York Times in 1896. You'll find a couple articles that even reference this story. And people, even today, have gone back to try and research, is this a real story or was this a just a big fish story that these sailors came in and told? Was this one of the stories that grew and grew the more it got told? And the, the honest truth is, we still don't know. On one hand, there's, they find the, the boat that he was supposedly on. They never found record of him being on that particular boat, but maybe they got the boat wrong in the story. And so then there's these doctors, and there's some doctors that say they actually treated James Bartley when he got off, and there's this back and forth, and people trying to research the story don't know, is it true or is it legend? But the importance of this story is it really, it's really fascinating to hear his account because he shared what it was like allegedly inside that whale. Here's what he said. This is a, an account of James Bartley that's been, uh, that's been preserved all these decades. He said, He was encompassed by a fearful darkness, and he felt himself slipping along a smooth passage of some sort that seemed to move and carry him forward. This sensation lasted but an instant, and then he felt that he had more room. He felt about him, and his hands came in contact with a yielding, slimy substance that seemed to shrink from his touch. And finally dawned upon him that he had been swallowed by a whale. He was overcome by horror, by the horror of the situation. He could breathe, but the heat was terrible. It was not a scorching, stifling nature, but it seemed to draw out his vitality. He became very weak, grew sick at the stomach. He knew there was no hope of escape from his strange prison. Death stared him in the face. And he tried to look at it bravely, but the awful quiet, the fearful darkness, the horrible knowledge of his environments, and the terrible heat finally overcame him. And he must have fainted, for the next thing he remembered was being in the captain's cabin. 
Man, that sounds terrible. He gets swallowed by this whale. Apparently what happened was they, when they cut open, they put him back on the deck and they're just, he's unconscious, so they're dousing him with this seawater. He finally regains consciousness, apparently, and they take him into the captain's cabin where he was basically crazed for weeks because he'd constantly have nightmares that he was back in the belly of this whale, which was the worst experience of his life. Now, this who knows if this story is true? There are people that claimed absolutely it was. There's some researchers that can't imagine how that could be true. Who knows? It may be legend. But what's so interesting about this story is it gives us insight, it gives us, helps us kind of picture and imagine one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. Story of Jonah and the whale. Now you might be here and you might say, look, I actually think that story's a legend too. I can't imagine how a guy could get swallowed by a whale and survive. It just doesn't seem plausible. Man, if that's where you're at, I, I totally get that. I, I can appreciate that. Um, of course, I, I believe the story is true. And the reason I believe it's true is because um, if you believe that there's a God, then all miracles are on the table. Because if there's a God, he can just reach into the world and do whatever he wants at any point in time. And him keeping a human alive in a whale is an easy thing for him to do. And of course, the Bible's not claiming this happens all the time. It's just saying, hey, there was this one really crazy moment when God kept a guy alive in a whale. Here's the story. So we're going to look at this story from that angle. But here's what I'd say. Wherever you're at on this story of Jonah, there's something even more important about it. There's a truth in this story of Jonah that's so powerful. I think it could be exactly what you are looking for in your life right now. I think it could be the, the very thing you are urgently needing, the truth that this story talks about. Here's the story of Jonah. It's a guy that God set aside. He wanted him to be a prophet. God somehow told him, he says, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach that these, these people in Nineveh would turn back to God. Now here's the problem. Nineveh was the capital city of the dreaded, feared Assyrian Empire. And so uh, Jonah is in Israel Nineveh would have been in modern-day Iraq. That would be the Far East by his standards, by the known world at that point. And he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go to Syria. He doesn't want to go preach to the Ninevites. And so he goes to a port city called Joppa, gets on a boat, and he's sailing towards Tarshish, which is in modern-day Spain. So he's supposed to go to the Far East. He's going to the Far West, farthest west he can possibly imagine. And while he's on the Mediterranean Sea, a storm comes up. Because of Jonah's disobedience, God sends a storm surrounding this boat. God's like, no, 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 that's not what I told you to do. I got a plan for you. Sends this storm, the sailors are freaking out, they're throwing stuff overboard, they're just trying to keep this boat from breaking apart, and finally Jonah reveals to him, he says, this storm is because of my disobedience. And he says, so now your fate is tied to me. He says, here's your only chance, you've got to throw me overboard and they're like, man, we're not gonna do, we're not gonna kill you. We're not gonna do that. This storm will, will swallow you up. You'll just sink and you'll drown. There's no way we're gonna do that. And they they try, they continue to try to keep the boat uh, above the water, and finally, with no other options and Jonah's persistence, they throw Jonah over and he sinks down into the water to his imminent peril. And immediately the storm stops. And while he's in the water, instead of drowning in the water, it says this. Look at this, verse 17 of Jonah 1. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, most likely when it says great fish, 
the, the most likely candidate is a sperm whale because they swallow large squid and other large sea creatures. That's the most likely the sea creature it's talking about. And he's swallowed by this whale. He's in the whale for three days and three nights. And I don't know what your background is, but if you're in the belly of anything, you're going to pray. Okay? That's what Jonah does. He's going to pray. And I want you to see in Jonah chapter 2, this is his prayer. Look what he says. This is Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. This is interesting. He's, he's saying, God, he's being really honest. He's like, this is the worst. He says, he says I'm in the belly of Sheol. Did you hear where he, where he said that phrase? He's in the belly. I'm in the belly of Sheol. Sheol is this Hebrew word that means like the land of the dead. It's like death itself. It's like basically hell. He says, what an interesting wording choice. He says, I'm in the belly of hell itself. He's saying, this is the worst. He's calling out to God, I, I, I can't take this anymore. This must be what death itself feels like. It's being churned in the stomach of this whale. But then his prayer changes. It takes on another nuance. I want you to see what he says next. Look at this, verse four. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out on the dry land. You see what changed in his prayer? It wasn't, well, you know, this isn't really that bad. After all, I'm kind of getting used to this, kind of, you know, homey in here. I, mean, I, I need to sail across the Mediterranean. I'm just going to float until something swallows me. This is way better, okay? That's not his prayer. It's like, God, this is still the worst, yet there's a new dimension sprinkled into his prayer. He says, yet I know you're going to get me out of here. I know it. In fact, he's like kind of definitive about it. He's like, I will one day be back at your temple and I'll repay my vows. I, I will pray there at your temple in Jerusalem. He knows he will do it. He's, he's saying it as if it's a matter of fact. And remember, he's still in the belly of the whale. This is a, a powerful moment that we see from, from Jonah where he's basically saying, I know what's going to happen. I know that I'm going to be okay. It's, it's powerful how he says this. And, and you think about it. Here's, here's what ends up happening. God hears his prayer and the answer to his prayer, this the great glorious redemption of Jonah, is he's vomited up on the dry land from the whale. 
Now, can you imagine being on that beach building your sandcastle that day? A projectile Jonah comes up next to you, like on the shore. Okay, dude, you all right, man? Like seaweed all wrapped around your head. That looks bad, okay? His great glorious moment is he's vomited up. All right, now before you're like, man, that sounds even worse than being in the belly of the whale. Before you go there, I want to bring another dimension to this story uh, into your mind. Okay, have you ever seen those people that have those metal detectors on the beach? Maybe you're one of them. We don't want you to raise your hand, okay? You ever seen the people with the metal detectors? And when I was a kid, man, I, I thought they were searching for, like, pirate treasure, okay? And I was, was watching them because I wanted one to, like, dig up, like, this treasure chest, like, at some point. And they're really just looking for, like, change and watches and stuff like that, which was a little let down when I heard that. But if you're busy with a metal detector, you might miss actually one of the most valuable treasures you could find on the shore. It's a particular kind of rock that can come up on the shore, And it's a precious rock that ounce for ounce is worth almost as much as gold. If you find this rock, it's like you're finding a hunk of gold. And the reason for this is because it's used in very expensive perfumes. And so high-end perfume makers will come and they want to find this rock. So if you find this, uh, it's worth a lot of money. It's called ambergris. Okay, so here's a picture of what ambergris looks like. Okay, get that in your brain because if you see that rock on the beach, put it in your car and don't forget who told you about it to begin with. Okay, just so we remember this, all right? If you find a rock that looks like that, they call it, you can see it's got that amber color. They call it the gold of the seas because it's so valuable. Okay, to give you an idea, every couple of years, you'll see a story in the newspaper, in some back page of someone who finds a hunk of ambergris on the shore. A couple years ago, a little boy, he was like uh, six or seven. He's walking along the shore. He finds a six-pound rock, and he lifts it up, and he shows it to his parents. He's like, what is this? And they're like, I don't know. It looks gross. And they was, let's figure out what it is. It turns out it's ambergris, and it's worth $65,000. It's a nice little college fund he started for himself, Okay. Another, uh, another person down in South Australia, this is back in like 2011, they found a huge hunk worth $300,000. They found in the last couple years, just innocent bystanders walking by, they found some big enough, almost $400,000. I mean, this is extremely valuable, almost the same value as gold. But here's what's crazy about ambergris. Here's actually what ambergris is. When a sperm whale swallows something, that it can't digest, because remember, it swallows things. What happens in its stomach is this, it takes this substance, coats what it can't digest, and eventually expels it. That floats onto shore, and it is ambergris. So ambergris is whale vomit. <laughs> you probably had no idea we were going to talk about whale vomit on Easter Sunday, but somehow we got here. I don't even know what we did, but... Here we are. Okay. Ambergris, it's whale vomit. Okay, so I want you to think about what an incredible picture of Jonah, most likely swallowed by a sperm whale. Okay, he's in the stomach of this whale. The whale cannot digest him, okay? Eventually vomits him up. He comes on shore, and I'd always picture him like covered in like nastiness. He's covered with ambergris. He might as well be sprinkled with gold dust. 
I mean, think of the incredible picture. He goes into this trial, churned in a stomach, spit out, and he's practically gold-plated. Can you see? I mean, what an incredible, beautiful picture of redemption. On the other side, there's something beautiful through his trial. He's made into something beautiful. What an incredible picture. Now, here's why this is so important. Because I think each one of us have this instinct when we're going through a hard time. I think each one of us have this instinct inside of us that unless it gets beaten out of us, we have this expectation that things are going to turn out okay because of this. We have phrases like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. We have metaphors like, well, there's a silver lining behind every cloud. We have this belief that, oh, it's going to get better, or this is just teaching me something, or this is because of something else. And we have, many of us have this hope, okay, it's going to turn out okay, but let me just take, just pause with me for a second. If you've had hope in a difficult situation, let me ask you a very important question. On what are you hoping for that? On what basis are you hoping it's going to get better or that this is for, the, for, for good? Is it, well, I just, just destiny. There's a destiny on my life. There's fate. I just believe that the universe has designed my life to turn out okay like a fairy tale. Man, that's pretty thin to hope on. Man, it's like, well, I, just be- I believe in myself. I'm a hard worker. Man, I pick myself back up. Man, I've got gifts and skills. Man, I can push through. Nothing's going to knock me down. That's famous last words for a lot of people. Maybe some of you are, are just saying, well, you know, I've got, this other, I've got this backup plan. You know, if this doesn't work out, I can always lean on this. I've got this other thing that I, that I can lean on. Let me just ask you, on what are you hoping? On what are you banking on the fact that it's going to turn out okay? It's important to know that. Some of you may be here, some of us may be saying, look, I, I'm not there. I, I'm not holding on to hope. I've lost hope. I'm hopeless. When I look in this circumstance, I, I, I'm, I don't know that this is going to turn out okay. Maybe you're at that point where I say, you know, I had dreams in my life. I had expectations of greatness. I knew I would do this and be that and accomplish this. And I'm now getting to that point where I'm just hopeless. That's never going to happen. I've, I've lost hope. That's just not what life has. You may say, man, I, if I'm honest, I've lost hope in my marriage. I'm realizing it's over. Or, or I'm realizing this is the best it's ever going to be. I just need to accept it. It's that relationship. It's, it's that relationship I just so desperately want to be redeemed with my child. We've, we're, we're separated. Or they're going down a path. I'm so worried for them. And I'm, uh, I'm hoping they're going to turn around, but I'm losing hope. I've got a, a health condition. It's just this chronic difficulty. I, f- I face it all the time, over and over and over, and I can't get through it. Or It's this habit. I can't break out of this, and I'm starting to just lose hope. Maybe this is just who I am, and I'm, I'm, I'll, this is always going to be part of my life, and I'll never find freedom from this. Or maybe it's just a general, you've just, life, I've come to the conclusion, it's just a terrible mess. It's not a fairy tale. And maybe you've just completely lost hope. If you're in one of those two places, holding on to hope or hopeless, there's something so critical about the story of Jonah that you need to hear. But first, you need to know what it's not. Jonah is not just another inspirational story of a guy who made it through his trial, because you don't need that. 
We don't need just another rags to riches story of they overcame. I mean, we could go see a movie, we could see that, we could read the story, hear, hear about all that. And that's, you know, basically that's like, okay, great for that person, but how do I know that's going to be me? Man, I'm glad for Jonah, but what's to say that's going to be my story? Because there's a lot of people who don't have that story. See, what we need is not another inspirational story about someone else. We need something in our story. And here's what's so powerful about the story of Jonah. It's not just about Jonah. It's pointing to an even greater story that includes you in it. So I want to go back through these details of Jonah, and I want you to listen with me and tell me if this is ringing the bell of another story. There's a man that is on this boat, and there's a storm. It's a storm that has been brought on by disobedience, and it's swirling around. And this man says with his companions, your fate is tied to me. And he's willing to sacrifice his life. He's willing to give up his life. He says, throw me in down into the depths of death. And they throw him down into death. And he sinks down into the belly of Sheol itself. But on the third day, he comes back up to life. Is that a story you've heard before? I want you to hear it from Jesus' own lips. Here's what Jesus said. This is Jesus' words. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, the story of Jonah is not about Jonah. It's pointing to a greater Jonah. It's pointing to Jesus. Son of God, God in the flesh, he comes down to earth and there's a storm swirling around but it's not caused by his disobedience because he was perfectly obedient. There's a storm coming for each one of us caused by our own disobedience. And he looks at us and he says, your fate is tied to me. And he offers himself up to death. He's nailed to the cross. And his, his, God places our sin on Jesus. He says he'll let Jesus' death count in our place. And he dies on the cross. And he goes down into the tomb, into the depths of death. But on the third day, he rose again to life. Do you realize that story is about you? Let me ask you, Whatever you're putting your hope on, whatever you're putting your hope on, is it fate and destiny? Is it on yourself? What is it you're putting your hope on? Because the only thing that makes sense to put your hope on is first, not that you're going to make it through and you can control, because you can't control your own life. You can't control the circumstances. Your only hope to make it through any trial is first that there is one, there is a God that can control the circumstances of this world and the circumstances of your life. But two, he's a God that cares about you and cares about the details of your life and loves you and wants to reach in to your life. And how do you know that's true? It's the story that Jonah is pointing to. It's the story of Jesus. It's that there is a God who defeated death and he cared so much for you that he was willing to die on the cross. Do you realize the resurrection of Jesus is the single most important, significant moment in the history of the world. It's our hope. 
Christian, you may be here and maybe you've been following Jesus for decades. Have you lost hope? Christian, you have no excuse for losing hope. Your Savior defeated death. And he says, and God says, if I would, would give my son for you, would I not do anything else for you? Christian, you have no excuse to lose out hope. You will on the other end be more glorious than when you entered in. Christian, have you forgotten that the most powerful moment in history is when your Savior defeated death, when he looked death in the eye and he said, there is, where is your victory, death? He said, where is your sting? I have taken it, absorbed it myself, and defeated it once and for all for the children of God. Christian, have you forgotten that today? Some of you are here and you say, look, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus, but I know that I'm wandering You're saying, look, I I know about Jesus and I prayed that prayer one time and I, I consider myself a Christian, but he's just a blip on my radar. Do you know what that means? If he's not the dominant force of your life, if he's just something that enters into your life at some point, you realize you're hoping in something else. Because Jesus is the hope that we have. The moment he defeated death, he's our hope for our present life and our eternity. And if you're wondering, then today make the decision. It's time to come back to the fold. Can I leave you with this? Just take this step. If you're wondering and you say, look, I, I'm kind of this, I, I'm a Christian, but I, you know, I, Jesus is a small part. I come to church on Easter. I come one or two other times, but maybe just one simple step is come back to the family of God. Maybe for you, you walk out of here and your challenge is be with us here next week and walk with us as we're clinging to Jesus, our hope. But some of you are here and you say, look, I, I'm not wandering. I'm lost. I, I, I need something to hope in. Do you realize Jesus is offering you something to hope in? He's your Savior. He loves you. He died for you. He forgave all of your sins. And now you have an eternity waiting for you with God because he defeated death. And that's offered to you. Some of you might be here this morning and saying, look, if I'm honest, I'm good, man. I don't have storms in my life. I hear you. That's great. Maybe down the road in my life, then then I'll think about that. But for right now, I'm doing pretty good right now. I don't know that I need it. I'm not really struggling. Well, can I tell you there's a storm brewing for you? Can I tell you that there's a prison that all of us are locked in? It's called our mortality. And that all of us are looking death in the eye. No one is invincible for you or for me, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 50 years from now, from now, but we are staring our mortality in the eye and one day it will come to claim you. And that storm is brewing. But Jesus is offered to you today and you can say, I want to tie my fate to Jesus. I want him to defeat death for me so in that moment when I face death, I can say, you have no hold on me. And on the other end of this, I'll be even more glorious than when I started. 32 years ago, my uh, great-grandmother was lying on a bed in a hospital that would end up being her deathbed. And she was a godly woman. She knew Jesus. She and her husband, my great-grandfather, had served in China as missionaries. And so because of that, we, we called her Lao Lao, which is Chinese for grandmother. And she's lying in, in her bed, and my grandmother, her daughter, and um, my grandmother's sister, my great aunt, they're with her, and she's just laying there quietly. And at one point, just, she kind of just leans over and says to them in her quiet voice, 
shortly before she passed away, she says to them, you can turn the music off now. My grandmother and her sister, they look at each other and they look back at her and, and it was a remarkable thing for a couple reasons. First of all, she had already, my Lao Lao had already lost most of her hearing. But the second reason was there was no music playing in the room. And they looked at each other and they're wondering, I mean, is this just senility? Uh, you know, is this just something that happens at the end or is it possible she's hearing the music from her home that's calling her home? A little bit later, the, my uncle was with her for her final words. And she was laying there quietly, and she turned over to my uncle, and she just said to him in a feeble voice, she said, what time is it? And he said, oh, well, Lao Lao, today's the day before Easter. Tomorrow is Easter morning. And he said her only response was this huge, peaceful smile broke over her face, and she laid back down, and shortly after, she breathed her last. Can you imagine what an Easter morning that was for her? Where she was standing before her risen Savior who had purchased her resurrection. Today is Easter morning. And this could be a significant Easter morning for you. Because tomorrow may be the ultimate Easter morning where you're standing before God himself. And Jesus has purchased your eternity. Do you want your fate tied to him so that he dies the death that you should have died and gives you the life that he rose back to gain for you? Do you want to put your hope in Jesus? I want to give you an opportunity. Some of you are saying, look, I want to walk out of here knowing for sure where I'm going to spend eternity. I want to walk out of here knowing that I'm forgiven, knowing that I'm saved. I want to once and for all know that I've been adopted into the family of God. I, I need something to hope in. You can put your hope in Jesus today. You can do that right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, I want to lead you in the simple prayer. I want you just to simply pray this. Say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Jesus, thank you for washing away my sins. Thank you, Lord, for providing that sacrifice to wash me clean. I know that I will live in eternity in heaven with you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I put my hope in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.